Fight! Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. All right, let's start this off. Anoop, if you could fight anyone in any era, who would you fight and why? Okay, I'm going to just use the example of present day because I don't want to get too historical. Okay. But today, when uh, me and my girlfriend, we were waiting for a table in Brooklyn to eat for brunch, uh, I had my dog, a beautiful uh, golden brown pit bull boxer who's like a sweetheart. Uh, some guy was walking by with his big ass dog and he just like had like this like face like oh I'm a tough guy and he like basically was like move your dog out of the way and I wanted to just fight that dude and like, I, don't, I feel like he just had this attitude like this smug look like yeah my dog's so big and whatever and I was just like you're being a prick like dogs are wonderful and yeah, I don't know. Nothing too like historical today of like who I want to fight, but I feel like that guy just like rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I don't want you talking about my dog. It just annoyed me. And I was like, you're like older. I feel like I could beat you up. He didn't seem like the type of guy that like trained or anything. He just seemed like a guy that had a motorcycle and that got him out of fights or something. You know what I mean? Like that type of dude, like and he, like, he had a really big dog. It was beautiful. Part of me was like, oh, maybe he wants to be friends with my dog. But then, yeah, okay, maybe he was trying to be safe and protect my dog. Don't have an attitude about it. If your dog is a wild one, you control your dog. Don't tell me to control my dog just because your dog might be dangerous. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. you control your dog. Like, maybe you thought your dog was dangerous. My dog's a sweetheart. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I like the idea that they might think she's dangerous <laughs> we just adopted her last year so she's got like scars and stuff like we don't know what she's been through but she's like super sweet to us but yeah i don't know but still don't make assumptions so yeah that would be the person no huge billionaire political person today just your regular neighborhood douchebag probably would be fun to fight all right well here's a follow-up question if you had to have a coach for that person who would you pick then Oh, for that guy? All right, so I'm going to go with what I wanted to say last week. Mm -hmm. And now I have further proof that he is, like, amazing. It would be Khabib. Because, yeah, I believe Khabib is all about respect. So, actually, but I also did hear a story that Khabib is afraid of dogs. So then... <laughs> That can't be true. Yeah, Javier Mendez in one of the interviews said that when Khabib first came from Dagestan, and he had like him stay at like somebody's house that was like part of the gym. And I was like, yeah, he could stay with me. That person then called and was like, uh, Khabib put all my dogs in the backyard. <laughs> and then they're like, why did you do that? Khabib was like, I'm terrified of dogs. Something to that extent. And they were, we're like, talking about the same kid who at five years old was wrestling bears, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Did you hear like his father's quote about that? No. I just read it today. Like Khabib was like, he remembers being like a little boy and like his father telling him to wrestle the bear. And he's like, well, what if the bear bites me? And his dad was like, well, then bite him back. And that was it. <laughs> just like simple. Like, okay. Like it was just normal. Yeah. So I would definitely go with Khabib just because I do think the takedown is so important. He's so tough. 
based on the question, I love Khabib. I love his fighting style. I love his toughness. And I would just love to learn like those little tricks, like the Dagestani handcuff and just how he controls people on the ground. I think uh, favorite moves. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of my heroes. Mismatch. Yo, I want Khabib as my coach for the guy in my neighborhood. I ran into that was tough. <laughs> that looks dumb, yeah. Overkill, right? Yeah, Whatever. I'll just yeah. apply it to everybody else I fight. But yeah, Khabib and that douchebag. Why? Who who would you like to fight? Who's been on your mind this week that's pissed you off? Not even on my mind this week that's pissed me off. I went around, I went to the route that like not someone I despise, but someone I really respect because a lot of people, and I subscribe to the idea that the athletes of today are better than the athletes of back then. Maybe back then they were better in their era, but if you took an athlete today and put them back in the past times, they would wipe up a lot of people, most of them. So sure. I, I would like to fight Hoist Gracie. Interesting. Okay. How old is Hoist right now? Yeah, I'll look it up. But tell everybody who Hoist is if people don't know who Hoist Gracie is. is the first UFC winner. He's the guy that put Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the map. He is a guy that came in at like, I think, 175, taking on people of all weights and sizes of all different martial arts back backgrounds and using jiu-jitsu to get them down to the floor and basically either armbar or choke them. And he won. And he won a bunch of UFCs early on. People didn't know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is. And now it's like the staple of mixed martial arts today. You got to know it. And I want to pick Hoist because I've often heard uh, people have kind of like said this, like Hoist's level back then is only the equivalent to like a blue belt now or a purple belt now. People have like said that, like the game of jujitsu has evolved so much. Interesting. I just know back then like Hoist didn't really have much striking. So it would be kind of cool. Would I be able to beat like that historic prime Hoist Gracie now? Yeah, that, or just at least how well you would do. That's amazing, too, because if you do beat him, then technically you could be like, oh, my God, I could have won UFC 1 with these skill sets. I traveled back in time. I didn't have that skill set back then, but yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Just beating a Gracie in any realm is just cool, too. Right now, uh, Hoax Gracie is 55 years old. 54. Yeah. Be 55 in December. And so, yeah, I, I think that would be kind of fun, kind of a test. If you lose, you lose. You're like, dude, it's Hoist Gracie. That, that's just, uh, yeah, that's historic. I, I went the route of like, that's a challenge. And okay. if I could pick a coach, it's Kazushi Sakuraba. That is such a great uh, coach. For those of you guys that don't know, Sakuraba is like one of the legends of the sport and him and Gracie would have epic battles, right? So yeah, I love Sakuraba because he came in from professional wrestling. He had a catch wrestling background and had such success against the Gracies. He just beat them one by one and was then nicknamed the Gracie Hunter. And I like Sakuraba because he is known for smoking a ton of cigarettes and drinking a ton of alcohol and still just like beating everybody's ass. He's like one of those tv characters where you're like this can't be a real human being that's this mm -hmm. tough and strong Look again at he was a professional wrestler like he, he he's, he's perfect he's like the pride of japan he was such an entertainer and a fan favorite 
And uh, the fact that he had the Gracies, he had their calling card, man. And yeah, what better guy to have coach you than Sakuraba? Yeah. He, he's like that, like, you know, when you're younger and like your friend's dad that you think is like kind of like a superhero because they're just like jacked or strong, like, you know, like, how do they do those things? Like, I feel like Sakuraba is one of those people that could just do everything. And it was just like tough as nails, like, you know, like when you watch him. He's so innovative. Uh, he still is to this day, like very creative with his grappling. And I think it probably came from professional wrestling, like his, his creativity. And then I also think like professional wrestling was, you know, in Japan, he was already performing in front of like huge crowds. And not that the Gracies ever felt like pressure from anyone. They were just like stoic in all things. But I think that probably helped soccer robbers. He's very comfortable being on stage and performing. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. That definitely makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of fighters that I think learned a lot from professional wrestling. And even though we know professional wrestling isn't real, it's produced some great athletes and personalities. Sakuraba might be one of those pinnacle people that's just incredible at professional wrestling and incredible at fighting. Yeah, so I think back then too, well, professional wrestling came about from catch wrestling mm -hmm. like historically. And so I think back then when Sakuraba trained, they did this, did this a lot with the old time wrestlers is like when wrestling had the allure of still being like real, not scripted and all is it had like people still had to be tough to kind of represent like the illusion that you know this isn't like gamed and so they actually had to learn how to really wrestle and catch wrestling served as like their base and foundation to parlay into professional wrestling i'm sorry Artie. can you explain to some people what catch wrestling is grappling sport it's older although it is still around maybe even making a comeback Catch wrestling is the same as professional wrestling. You can either pin someone for a three count for a win, or you can submit them. So the difference in jujitsu, it's just submission or it's point base. If the time limit comes up in catch, it's just, uh, it's usually just submission or pin and that's it. And it's usually a two out of three falls, meaning like best of three. Mm. Is there anything philosophically different you think when it comes to catch wrestling versus like the other grappling arts? Yeah, they, I mean, the takedown is huge because chances are if you can take someone down and essentially pass their guard, you now have the ability to finish the fight with a pin. Okay, and you're saying Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's not as huge because you could just start on the ground if necessary. If you're inside control, you're not, you're losing, but you didn't lose the whole fight. Hmm. Wait a minute, are you talking about catch wrestling right now? If you're inside control, you didn't lose the whole fight or... Jiu-Jitsu. If I'm on bottom side control, the match is still on. I yes. can get out. I can do these things. And the match is still on in catch wrestling. But if there's a three count while I'm being panned, if both shoulder blades are on the floor and there's a three count, I'm done. That's the end of the match. So the priority is really on the takedown into a dominant position because that can end the fight. Do you think there's a difference in terms of, like, say, brutality of, like, the grappling arts? Like, say... Uh catch wrestling versus jujitsu versus like sambo do you think it makes a difference like what are the differences in your opinions between these different arts i think uh people call jujitsu the gentle art it's not gentle at all i don't know why it's it's swift it's beautiful but gentle is the last word i would use for it yeah that's always a weird thing so i still think it's brutal catch wrestling is definitely brutal i, I think that's probably what 
limits its audience because neck cranks are accepted. <clears throat> In jiu-jitsu, neck cranks are either illegal or frowned upon. Uh, there's a lot of things that like jiu-jitsu has like a hierarchy of submissions where catch wrestling, it comes from the term like catch as catch can, like catch them any way you can. Okay, that, that's a great that's a great way for us to remember that, right? And just grab whatever you can get. I think that could be more problematic because if you're like a lifelong catch wrestler, you probably, I mean, if you're a lifelong jujitsu guy, you've probably dealt with an injury once or twice before. It's just the nature of it, right? Someone's trying to hurt you. Eventually, they're going to succeed, right? Maybe you tap too late, whatever. It sometimes happens. Maybe you take a bad step. But in catch, I don't know. Some of the submissions are just like, on right away like and, and neck cranks are kind of a serious thing like you don't exactly want to play with that too much so I understand, like yeah you probably can't keep all your athletes too long if you know everything legal not that everything is legal but a lot more on the board for catch okay very interesting that kind of leads into i think one of the topics we wanted to talk about today right like gym etiquette you think like should, should this should this lead into that yeah, so this, this ties into some of the expectations from athletes when they come onto the mat, specifically for grappling, but we could talk about other arts and stuff too. So we'll start with the difference with like jujitsu, because jujitsu is the most common grappling school you're going to find now. And so if you're stepping onto a jujitsu mat, some of the things they tell you early on are, you know, no shoes on the mat, unless they're wrestling shoes. Sometimes they're okay with that. You basically just, they don't want to track anything that's been on the floor, even if it's indoors, outdoors, whatever it is, onto the mat, right? It's just kind of like cleanliness protocol. You don't want to be tracking things like, you know, for staff, ringworm, all these different things. You're keeping it cleaner. And even, even if you have bare feet, you don't want your bare feet to touch, you know, the floor and then step onto the mat. Because again, whatever, like it's just your bare feet touch the mat only and that's it. I'd like to also say, I think there's like a respect factor too, right? Besides the cleanliness factor, like in Indian churches, like Indian temples, like mosques, I think like first things people do is like they take off their shoes, you know? And it's like one of those things that maybe I feel like is like a little, it's about like, I think respect too. Like you want to treat the mat as like, that's where you're doing all your learning. Like, you know, like that's the place of study. It is the place of study and, you know, mats aren't cheap either and you want to take care of your partners you don't want them to be getting something bad either so yeah and little things like that too like they'll teach you or at least you know i was told ringworm can spread really fast so if you ever have anything on your skin that even looks a little bit funny don't go if you get a cold don't go you're going to spread that like you're making contact with these people really close contact yes when you're that was the one thing i realized about jujitsu when i first started and sambo they would be like, oh, get on top of this person and then like press into them. And then like anytime I think I'm close to this person, they're like, no, closer, <laughs> like closer. And it's just like, that's where you get all that leverage and you are on top of these people, which is why I think you become friendly <laughs> with these people in a way because you're just so physically close all the time. So yeah, I think one of the things with like gym etiquette is like what Artie's already uh, leaning towards, have proper hygiene, like clean yourself, clip your toenails, like wash your feet. Like, you know, you do a lot of jujitsu and wrestling when you do a lot of laundry. 
because you will be super sweaty and everything will be gross. And so just if you do that, I think like 25%, you'll feel more comfortable and your training partners will feel more comfortable. Yeah, you definitely want to take a shower right after. You definitely getting your clothes in the wash soon. There's definitely a lot of laundry for sure. So you as like a, like having your own school and a higher level belt, what do you expect out of a white belt when somebody first comes that's like new and wants to learn? Like, what do you think makes a good student? What makes you say like that person has good etiquette? First day. Yeah, first day. Because I think that's what people are most nervous about. What's like, what do you do on the first day? What are the things that make you naturally feel awkward? First day, I don't put any pressure on them at all. So I kind of tell them like etiquette in terms of like, you know, no shoes. We try to stay clean, you know, just kind of like the basics like that. I even equip them with things like understanding like their staff and ringworm and we take it serious that they take cleanliness serious. You know, you tell them to take a shower after and stuff, just stuff that like, okay, it's basic common sense. But in terms of actually like stepping onto the mat, you try to, you try to just be like, we're going to drill. We're going to drill a particular move or a sequence of moves. And that's all you have to do. You'll try it on the different body types. When it's time to spar, you don't have to spar. And even if you spar, you're going to spar at me. I'm not going to put you against someone else where you might be at risk of like a high intensity or something going wrong. We're going to literally spar and I'm just going to put you in the situation in which we've been drilling just so you like, because I know your scope of what you know is so little. So I'm only going to kind of test that scope a little bit. That's it. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. You could just come and drill and you'll get better then. And when you are comfortable, you can roll. Okay, you're a friendly teacher. My very first class was with uh, hopefully a fighter that we have on the show, Brad Desir. And I remember it was a Friday night and it was an MMA class. And I walk in and it was just like six of us. And he goes, okay, you fight this kid. And he was like, first he was like, well, how good are you? What's your experience? I was like, I did some Taekwondo. Like, I don't know. And he was like, okay, let's see how good you are. Fight this kid. And it was like, kind of, we were smart. Okay, so that's definitely not how I was brought into the game either. Well, I was actually brought into the game more like how you were brought into the game. But like in the old school days, it was just like, you're in and you have to kind of like prove you want to be here. How would you give them some advice on how to deal with that? Or say they're feeling like awkward, like, oh my God, I don't know how to do the drills. And oh my God, I'm going to have to roll with this person a little bit. So I guess that part of that comes into like coaching. So like if you're stepping on the mat for the first time, you want a coach that's like really watching you pretty well. I guess my job is like a new guy has the most likelihood of getting hurt because they don't even know when they're in danger or they just have like this supreme anxiety. They might start like breathing really quick. They don't, they, they don't know where they can like find the moments of like calm. So they can just completely exhaust themselves early. So it's kind of like the priority of the coach when they do start rolling is you got to really keep a close eye on them just to kind of make sure that nothing bad's going to happen. I'll keep their round short. So it's like, they're not going to get too tired. They're kind of seeing how tough it is. Uh, you know, if I'm only going to give them like a minute or two rounds, not going to get tapped out 30 times and just be like, Oh my God, this is overwhelming. So yeah, I think you just, you keep a close eye on them, but, by the time I'm letting someone spar full round, I've already like talked about this when I've like taught or drilled moves or whatever it is. It's like, you know, I'm trying to go through slow on the drill. I'm also going to go like crank things at an appropriate pace when we train because I'm not trying to hurt my training partners either. Like I know the game is to, to beat them, but if you're just trying to kill all your training partners, you're gonna have no training partners left. There's a little bit of like, 
yeah, we're going intense, but you got to know certain positions when you have something that if you crank too fast, too much, something bad can really happen. One of those things where it's like, you have to know the position of strength, know that like, you know, I have a particular move locked up and, you know, if they're not tapping, maybe I'm not going to go all the way. I'll, you know, release and go to the next move. I, I think the little bit you're speaking from the perspective of the person that knows what they're doing. Like, I'm trying to say like, if you're, because you're the coach, obviously, so you, you, you know what you're doing. But for people that don't know what they're doing, you know, like when they first come on the mat, generally you're called like, right, the most dangerous belt is a white belt because you are spazzy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, I think like one of the things you want to do when you first come onto the mat is not try to win or anything and not try to like fight everything super hard, right? But just go in with like a mentality of learning. And I think then trusting people like yourself to not put them in bad situations. Cause 99% of people, even when I was thrown in, it wasn't like a real fight where we're getting murdered. It was more, okay, let's test you, right? And the person is watching, the coach is watching. And so I think like a lot of people when they're first starting, they might feel like they're getting thrown into like the wild, wild west. But I don't really think that's like necessarily the case, right? Like most gyms are. So people will ask me like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know that much. I just know like these certain positions and stuff. And I'm like, okay, so your job should just be don't get trapped on, but I try to give him a scenario. Like, he's like, oh, when I'm on top, I don't know what to do. I'm like, your goal is just stay on top. That's your win. Yeah. You try to make the parameters a little bit more simpler than, you know, you don't have to play the whole chessboard right now. Like just know how to move your pawn and just keep moving it. Exactly. Right. And then you learn a month later how to move your knight, And then you learn like how to move it in unison. And yeah, mm -hmm. if you're on bottom, then maybe your goal. And it's like the simplest goals. Your goal should be like, okay, I just want to not get freaked out, <laughs> you know, like, and I feel like if that's your first week, like, that's not a bad goal. Like, hey, if somebody's on top of me not to get freaked out. And one thing I like to do just to prevent injury, if I'm, especially if I'm training in a new place, I'll tell people like, hey, I'm kind of new, or if you get a move on me, I'm going to just tap, you got it. You know, like, I'm not going to necessarily fight. And then I like to tell people, but let's stay there. So you still have my arm. But now, like, let me get out of it. Like, I already tapped, basically saying, like, you win this round, but let's stay there. So I remember how to do the defense, you know? And I think, like, as long as you're a humble student, no one's really going to try to, like, hurt you, right? I think, like, humility is, like, essential to, like, being on the mat and avoiding yeah, injury. Courtesy in training is if you get caught with something, letting your opponent know, like, oh, hey, I've never seen that. Can you show me how you did that or how you would defend that? And it's usually common courtesy. You absolutely kind of just show them if you're high enough skill level to do that. Sometimes you just kind of like defer it to the coach because you're like, oh, I got you with this, but I don't really know how to coach this. You should ask coach after class. And that's fine too. But if you're like training, like competition time, there's no time for that. You're just training hard. But that, that's again, if you're trying to like compete or do something big with that. Exactly. Because I saw a video yesterday, a couple of days ago, and it was a, a jiu-jitsu student, somebody that's like planning on going to like ADCC, like a real good brown belt, like amazing. And I think it was like an in-game tournament and uh, he got a foot lock on somebody really fast and broke his chin. You know, like it was so brutal. And me, like, obviously we have a podcast talking about fighting, but even me, like when I see stuff like that, I'm like, oh, I can't get that out of my mind. And then like, I'm wondering like, 
was that guy a dick that he did it so fast? Was it just a freak accident because the guy's shin was like already a little weak? But then we have to also realize like there's levels to this game, you know? And I think it depends on who we're talking to. And right now what we're talking about when we're talking about like gym etiquette, we're talking about people that first want to start. And I don't think anybody's trying to ever break your leg in that situation. People are more excited that, hey, there's a new person in the gym. Come hang out with us. Like we're learning, we're bonding. And the worst thing that generally happens is like you get, you tap too late to a choke and you get a little lightheaded, you know, where. Newer people don't tap too late. They usually tap way early. Yeah, and that's better, right? That's, if anything, in the beginning. Joint locks, I think it's the opposite. So that's terrible. I feel like on chokes, you should be willing to tap a little bit late. With joint locks, you should tap early. No? Yeah, I don't know, man. The thought of going unconscious scares people, which you know what? Let's talk about. Okay. So, our listeners, Greg, he asked us, he would like to know, what is it like to get punched in the face or knee in the face uh, or even have like a joint lock on you? Now, I know we're talking about grappling right now. But we've both been hit, you and I, before. And you, do, and you do get hit. I'm sorry, I cut you up. You do get hit and grapple, right? Because sometimes knees are flying okay. and out. Incidentally, you should say, yes. Yeah, you're going to get hit. Yeah, so I've, I've caught <laughs> knees, elbows, heels, all these weird things. Almost everything but a punch in grappling. All right, so, so answer that question. Uh, you, you tell me. I'll, I'll tell you how I think about it. But you, you tell me, what's it like to be, be specific, like whichever one? It hurts, but it's not like a deep pain, you know, like it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, like that hurt for a second. And I kind of feel it like for me, I treat it like soreness after you exercise. Like, all right, that was pain, but I learned something from it. And joint locks, like arm bars, knee locks, heel hooks. I tap quick because I don't want to be in those situations. And I feel like if somebody already has me in that situation, like I've already fucked up somewhere. And so like those make me nervous and chokes to me, that's like, you take a nap. Like that's like nothing to me like that. Well, let's not go that far. What do you not tap out the chokes then? I just feel like that's my favorite move because I feel like it's like almost in some ways, the gentlest, like I incapacitate you. Like, you know, you don't have any long lasting damage. You might not even have any marks. Nobody will ever know that you've been choked out. It's just kind of like. So like, let's say in training then, like, what was the first punch that, like, hit you? Like, how did that feel? Because that's a, that's a big deterrent for a lot of people in any combat martial art. It's like, oh, I don't really want to get hit. I don't want to be going into work with, you know, a broken nose or something. Like, what do, you, what do you say to that person? Yeah, I think scars look cool. I, I remember the first time somebody called me sir was, like, after, like, my 26th birthday. Like, I, we had gotten to a fight. Actually, this might have been San Diego's 23rd birthday when we got into that brawl. And my face was marked up. And I remember, like, I went to a valet and the guy was like, yes, sir. Like, I'll give you what you need. And I thought that was, like, so cool. I was like, huh, I wonder why, like, they're doing that. But I don't know. I think uh, when I went to that first class with Brad and I was sparring that kid and, yeah, he hit me a couple times, but I hit him a couple times. I know where I felt the most pain and fear was that I got tired after 35 seconds. Mm -hmm. And like, that was also like an emotional pain. Like, fuck, now this kid's really going to fuck me up because I'm tired and I don't know what I'm doing necessarily. And it's like, for me, my fear was always an emotional fear more than a physical fear. And I feel like 
these things do get you tough. And, and one of my coaches, uh, Sambo Steve, he always said something like, martial artists live longer than other people because they're healthier, but they just live in pain as well. So it's like one of those yin and yang things, like you're, you're always gonna be hurt, but you are better off than the others that are never testing themselves. And so the physical pain, when people like complain about the physical stuff, I'm like, it's not really like that. You know, nobody's like, it's more, like you said, chess sometimes, but I enjoy a little bit of the physical pain. And I think what people fear is like the emotional toil that fighting has, but that doesn't really happen in the gym so much, the emotional side. And to me, that's like where the real pain comes from. So that's my opinion on the pain. Greg, I hope I answered your thoughts, but what would you say? Like when it comes to like getting hit with a strike or a choke or a tap? Uh, I've been hit with just about everything. The only thing I haven't been hit with is like certain elbows I haven't been hit with because in training, you know, if we're talking going back to etiquette, if you're training in MMA, you actually don't throw elbows as kind of a courtesy because you don't want to cut someone up. Like you don't really train elbows live in sparring uh, much anywhere. And most amateur, I think in most states, amateur MMA doesn't even allow elbows anyway. So like you're not really training elbows until you get to like a high enough level anyway. But regardless, I don't like I've, I've been hit with an elbow before, but not there's all types of different elbows. Throw. All right. So the first time I got punched in the face, I remember it was a straight right. It like went right down the pipe. And as soon as I got hit, it was like so foreign. I just want like I just kind of like dropped down to like grapple. Mm. Uh, you know, and the fight kind of transpired from there. I got into more grappling and so on. But I remember getting hit, just being like, oh, shit. Like, I got to move out of the way more. The thing is, it hit me and it hurt, but it didn't hurt as nearly as much as I thought it would. But I just knew, like, okay, getting hit's not good. So that was kind of like my first reaction was like, all right, I'm not made of glass, but maybe I'm made of wood, but wood still breaks, you know? So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh. Now, if it was like the first knee I took, the first knee I took uh, was to the body. That hurt a lot. The, the first knee I took to the head got me out. Yeah, these are different things. The first kick I took was blocked, but still kind of like rocked me a little bit. But all in all, all of these shots, like I'd say the only thing that like really hurt was the knee to the face. Okay. So you made me remember something. I am a bitch with leg kicks. When we used to do leg kicks in Sambo, like I was like, I don't want to do this drill where we would just toughen up our legs, kicking each other in like the thigh. That hurt so much, those Charlie horses. Like that really, I didn't want to do it. The stuff to the face, like you said, I feel like that's like adrenaline where, yeah, your body's telling you, don't worry about the pain right now. Worry about not getting hit again. Yeah. I think also like people think like getting hit in the face hurts. It actually depends where in the face you're getting hit and like what damage it causes and stuff too. Like I was thinking about this a little bit. People think like broken nose and stuff, but I'm like, I like, like I kind of have a big nose. Like I don't get hit in the nose that often. It sucks when I do get hit, but I don't get hit in the nose that often. I usually get hit more like top of the head or side. And those are like, okay. Like those aren't bad at all. Um, the ones that hurt are like if it hits your jaw or if like the right spot, like it hits like the arch right under your eye, that, that sucks too. If I had to make an order of like worst to best places to get hit in the face, 
I'd probably say the worst one would be the jaw. I just, yeah, that that sucks. The second worst, I'd say the zygomatic arch, right under the eye. That bony protrusion right under your eyeball. I'd actually take a broken nose before that shot. And then anything yeah. on the side of my head, cool or top. I'm like almost like, ah, it's okay. I'll trade. Would you rather take a punch to the face or like a really solid leg kick? Depends who's giving it. There's people that throw leg kicks that'll cripple you. Yeah, so both hurt. Like, which one do you find more annoying? Or a body shot? You know, it's one of those things where th th that's hard. Like, every strike has, like, a power to it. And depending on who you're versing, like, but yeah, like, what people don't realize is a leg kick can cripple you. But uh, I still think all of these things, I'd say a leg kick hurts way more than people think. And yes. a punch actually hurts way less than people think. Okay, I, I I like that way of thinking. Yeah, definitely. I, I would agree with that that sentiment, 100%. Um, I remember the things that hurt me the most when I first started training were things that like I didn't expect to hurt, but were simple things. Like just my knees and elbows were burning a lot because you're on the mats. And so they'd be like, all right, get on your knees. And like that little part hurt. And it was like, those little pains that I remembered way more than the accidental knee to the chin. You know, when you're rolling, it was just like the constant grind and burning. But I think that gets calloused up and toughens you up. And then in like two months, you don't even think about that ever again. Mm -hmm. Joint locks, I don't really get scared about on the mat because I feel like the people I roll with are equipped to know not to go crazy on it. And like, I don't have any fear of tapping early to a joint lock per se yeah i don't know joint locks don't really scare me on going too far because you kind of know when you've already lost the battle like when they're already in position to get you into a joint lock like it's almost like of all the violence there is the joint lock gives you the most time to kind of usually to let you know like oh okay something bad's about to happen so like because you also see it happening but you can't stop it from happening but because you see it happening, you're, you you can stop it quicker. We're like that makes sense. Sometimes you don't see it and it hits you, and you're like shit. <laughs> and then you get hit with three more right after. Yeah. Is, you see it happening to you. It's just you can't stop it. But at least you see it, so you can tap. You know, in the appropriate time, you choke too. Do you want to know why I think I'm really scared of joint locks a little bit? Not like so scared. Obviously, I do jujitsu, but. When I was younger, I saw a Steven Seagal movie, Hard to Kill, where he broke some guy's arm like this over his shoulder. <laughs> I know that's not real, but I think of that movie and I think of it breaking that guy's arm. But I, I think of that, I'm like, oh, fuck, that was so gross. Like, whenever I see that arm break, I'm like, fuck. That's the thing that creeps me out. And I think the people that are... See, you're totally rational. And I think the people that before they train become a little bit irrational with some of their fears. And so like, I think they're like worried about some of these things that they've seen, but uh, yeah, to like end on this note, I would say like 99% of the people I've ever trained with were like such good people and they help guide you. And as long as you're like humble and kind and you're like open and you're not like spazzy, like people will teach you how to do it and respect you. And then after a couple of months, you'll totally feel Great. Well, this, this also comes back to why I kind of picked Hoist Gracie as my dude, too, because this guy put grappling arts on the map and he did it in a way that's like 
hey, I can take this moveset and beat everyone else. And the fact that they had this 175 guy was beating guys that weigh 240, these huge just behemoth bar fighters and all this stuff. Everyone right away was like, oh, I don't have to be that guy to be good at fighting. I can be Hoist Gracie. Mm -hmm. Not much muscle, just kind of like a regular dude. And they're like, oh, just knowing that enabled him to beat all these tough guys. Cool. And I think like that's what drew me into it. Cause I was like, oh man, I didn't know like that power, like that's magical power. And so like I had known about martial arts before then, but I just didn't really buy into it. Like Hoist was like the defining proving that, oh, this martial art is something. And so I think if you're a newer person, just equip yourself with watching old Hoist Gracie. And I think you'll feel a lot more calm. Like, oh, they're going to teach me ways to be able to handle these really intimidating, crazy people. Yes. And I think that should give you comfort going onto the mat for the first time. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. You, and just have fun. One analogy I try to give like people when they're first starting, I don't know if this is a good analogy. You tell me from your thought process, but I tell them like, think of it like dancing, like a little bit, like have fun. Like, you know, like you don't need to be like so uh, stiff and rigid, you know, like move with like kind of what feels right. Like don't try to impress everybody. Just do what feels comfortable. And like, see how your body actually works you know like just move your body that's it and if you could do that and feel decent and confident enough to do it you'll end up getting good if you can continue to do it just think of it as like a, like you're going to get better conditioning mm -hmm. and it'll at least make you tougher in understanding when you are in pain and positions that pain can be delivered to you uh, it's just a kind of a learning process, but like just in terms of like a physical standpoint, you will be tougher just from all the pressure you're going to receive and just the conditioning, like you're going to get great conditioning, especially as a white belt. You'll sweat so much. You'll lose two pounds every day that you yeah, train. Yeah. If, you're, if you're really going for it. Yeah, for sure. All right. So now that we were just talking about etiquette, uh, let's just assume we want to fight somebody that has terrible etiquette. Right. And just so for the purposes of this, I'll say, like, Artie, if you could have beaten, is there a UFC fighter that you don't like past or present? And if you could fight them knowing you could win because you don't like them, like which fighter would you pick? Ooh, uh, that's tough. So it has to be someone I don't like, not someone I just want to beat. Yeah, because like you answered that already with like Hoist Gracie, like you admire and we're talking about all the people we love. Let's talk about some of the people we dislike so they could get that part of our personality. Like, who's somebody that you wish you could have beaten in the UFC that you think is kind of a little bit of a prank? Jeez. Um, I'll say Kevin Holland because that's fresh in my mind right now. Really? Okay, good. Topical. Why do you, I'm surprised you don't like Kevin Holland because you generally, in my opinion, like trash talkers and people with bravado. But that's what adds into why I dislike him more because I, he should be a guy I like. And the fact that he doesn't like, he doesn't do it well. So I'm like, no, this guy out. Yeah. I always like the bad guy. So to, to give listeners perspective, Kevin Holland fought last night. He is a big trash talker. I think his trash talking is kind of weak though. It never kind of like, 
is rational. It's kind of just usually wrong. Like the things he says about guys, like he said, uh, Israel Adesanya is a loser in every sport because he lost. He has a loss in MMA, kickboxing. I'm like, yeah, this guy has like five losses over a hundred fights. Just to call him like an all-around, I just it's kind of weird. Like, there's definitely better angles that for trash talking. And then just last night, he was just he never really kicked it into fourth gear at all. He just kind of got taken down and was still kind of talking trash and just got dominated and lost the entire fight. Like, what are you doing talking trash still? Like, I don't know. Like, it's cool to talk trash, but you kind of have to take your losses. Like, Chael Sonnen, that's my dude, man. He's great. At <laughs> and when he loses, like, all right, yeah, you beat me. But, um, yeah, that, that's something that I think uh, Kevin Holland's the guy I'd want to beat. Uh, he's just freshness in my mind. Yeah, Kevin Holland. Teddy Atlas had a good uh, thing or like an interesting angle, but he was saying how, uh, you know, sometimes why people show off or say certain things might be a defense mechanism, you know, and maybe Kevin Holland was talking about trash because he knew he was losing and it could be a way of deflecting on the loss, being like, oh, I'm having fun. And so I wasn't really trying. I don't think Kevin Holland was doing that, but yes, yeah, sometimes I, I, I I could see that. I, I do think Kevin Holland was doing that a little bit to pretend like it didn't bother him that he was losing or something like the, his mannerisms, body language. But it should matter to you that you're losing. Like, why else are you doing this? OK, th so that brings up a good point. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but he said, I don't necessarily care about being the champ. For me, like he's already made it into the UFC. He had five wins in a calendar year. Like He's making more money than he's ever made. Is it okay for some people to just be like, whatever, I'm having fun. Like, I don't care as much to be the champ. Or do you think that's wrong that he said that? Like, maybe his team now looks less of him. That's bad for your sport. And just in my point of view, I don't want to watch you. What do you think? What'd you say? Well, the whole point of the game is to win. So, like, I just don't want to watch you if you don't care about winning and losing. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah, so like I'm fine with your individual choice or like, I'm just going to go in and have fun. Cool. Let me, let me watch the winners. then. <laughs> so if your kids go, Hey, like at least I had fun playing the game and they lost. You're going to be a little tough on them. Sorry, I'm not going to see you at the next game, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a little tough on my kids that way too. I mean, no, they, they should have both, but I wouldn't want them to say that, you know, I'd want them to be like, no, I want, but I get both sides. All right. Kevin Holland is definitely an interesting answer of somebody. If there's anyone that you despise in UFC or MMA, just in general, that you could beat, you had the power to beat them. Who would you fight? Lately, I've been hating Brendan Shaw. Brendan Shaw pisses me off. He acts like he's so funny. He had the worst comedy special ever. I think he's riding the coattails of Joe Rogan. He's said some semi-racist stuff in his, you know, there's like a famous clip that goes around where he was talking about like this Asian doctor at the UFC that was like helping him. And he was like, oh, worst pain of your life, Mr. Sean, you know? And then you look at the clip of the actual doctor and he's this handsome, well-spoken dude that speaks way more clearly than Brendan Schaub, where Brendan Schaub is just a mumbler. 
if you're a fan of Reddit and the fighter and the kid, it's all about shitting on Brendan Schaub. And so they've kind of converted me a little bit into like, you know, these guys are a little bit like a pricks that think they're like so high and mighty and stuff. Plus, Brendan Schaub talks so much shit when he beat Crow Cop, and I love Crow Cop. And so, like, I don't like some of the people that he beat and his mentality, like, where he thinks he's the best. And even on the Food Truck Diaries, he's always talking over a lot of the fighters. So it's like, I like him enough where I'll watch some of his stuff and I know who he is, but I dislike him enough where I would like to fight him if I, could, if I knew I could win. Okay, that's fair. Um, I watch a lot of Brendan Schaub. I think conversationally, I think as a comedian, yeah, it's probably really green. Yeah. <laughs> um, conversationally, he's definitely funnier. And sometimes that is at his expense. It doesn't make me want to fight him per se, though, because he does get to talk to a lot of fighters and I do get a lot of information from him. Yeah. And if, if you guys are interested, check out Reddit, the fighter and the kid, you'll find the whole bunch. You'll find a community of 35,000 people dedicated to shitting on him and the L.A. comedy scene. And I think it's kind of funny. So that also shows how much I love everybody in the UFC for the most part. Like, I feel like I respect most of the people. Brendan Schaub irks me a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. He irks a lot of people. Yeah. All right. So fine, fancy cars. That's a good pick, though. That's a, that's a good pick. Yeah. Plus, they always talk shit on college professors. Like, college professors have mad money. I'm a college professor. I don't have any money, you know? And, like, meanwhile, they're driving, like, Corvettes, and they're, like, acting like they care about, like, the little guy. You know what I mean? Or Porsches and whatnot. I don't know. So that's my answer. Okay, speaking of more UFC stuff, uh, did you want to talk about next week's UFC? Sure, yeah. Um, next week's UFC card has... Stipe versus Francis for the heavyweight championship. Uh, it also had the bantamweight championship, but that was just recently canceled because Volkanovski got COVID right before his plane ride to come quarantine before that. He has to come a week early to quarantine or whatever, but before he can get on the plane, he tested positive for COVID, so now the fight's off, which is a bummer because I was really looking forward to that, and that's the type of fight that's getting pulled from the card that would make me say i don't know if that's really worth buying now yeah is it worth stealing via stream yes <laughs> you know people do that yeah 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 the majority i'd say let's get into stipe versus francis that's definitely you know the headline fight let's talk about what your thoughts on that fight are so Stipe is considered maybe the greatest heavyweight ever. He's a uh, he's got that immigrant mentality, as Joey Diaz said, and like you know, like Croatian firefighter from Ohio, Cleveland, like working class. And you know, when I first watched him fight, I didn't really like Stipe. He was just like kind of okay or good at everything. But I wanted like I think Dos Santos to beat him. I wanted him to always lose, and then. He just kept winning. I wanted him to lose to Verdum, and then he just kept winning. And I just kept getting more and more respect for him because he's just like a champion. And Francis Ngannou is the scariest man in the world today. He's from Cameroon, Africa. Was super poor, working in a sand mine. Both of these people are like 6'5", 260. But Ngannou's body just makes him look a little bit bigger and more intimidating. And actually, also the hardest hitting puncher of all time. 
Exactly. They said his punch is the equivalent to getting hit by a Ford Escort. So it's a good transition with you bringing up George Foreman earlier. And so Stipe did fight Nganu, and Stipe did beat Nganu two years ago, even though Nganu hit him with some of the hardest punches Stipe has ever been hit with. But Stipe had way better wrestling. I don't know. Stipe Stipe dominated him. Stipe did dominate him in the rounds. Stipe's been the underdog for so many fights, and he's the greatest heavyweight of all time, which I find to be so funny. People just continually doubt this man. I mean, it's hard to bet against Nganu, but I still want to bet on Stipe just because he's the best. Okay, Francis is minus 130, 130, Stipe is plus 110. That's basically even, right? But Francis is favored by a little bit. This guy has the most title wins in UFC history. What does he have to do? Does he beat Nganu? Then, like, you're going to talk about John Jones. He'll be an underdog again. You know, like, he's going to be an underdog. It's the craziest thing. If you're a better and you've been betting on Stipe, you have been making a killing. Because I think he's been an underdog for probably his last seven fights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the things we love about Stipe. Because he keeps just like, oh, my God. You know, like, he just keeps coming back. and keep... But I don't think it's out of disrespect to Stipe. I think it's just the way the heavyweight division functions, where you just have these big beasts and they have four-ounce gloves, and anything can happen at any time, and Stipe has gone against the greatest. So It's like it's slight disrespect, in my opinion, but not so much disrespect. I think it's a little nuanced, because everyone should be rooting for Stipe, because here's a guy whose job as a full-time firefighter takes precedence over his fighting, and yet he's still the greatest fighter. So, like, I feel like everyone should get behind, like, this blue-collar hero, but the reason they don't is even though he's American-born, you can't understand what he's saying. He mumbles a little there when he talks. There was like, when the, when the Black Lives Matter stuff was going on, Stipe wrote something like, Black Lives Matter. And then somebody was like, you just lost a lot of fans. And then Stipe was like, I just want to be a good role model to my daughter. You know? And it was like so sweet. And then somebody wrote, well, then stop beating up Black guys then. And it was just like amazing. <laughs> It's fucking you Daniel Carp. Can't beat the internet. It was so good. But I just love Steve. Like he's a good man. Like you know he's a good dude. He wants to be humble. And uh yeah, he does well. I hope he beats Nganu and I hope he beats John Jones. But even if he doesn't, it takes nothing away. Steve is still a legend. He'd still be a Hall of Famer. And then we get to see Nganu versus John Jones. And really more than anything, I just want to see John Jones lose to both of them. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm actually rooting for that scenario, too, to either one of them that John Jones would lose. But, um, gosh, I want to. I would love to see Stipe beat Nganu and John Jones. That would be the ultimate write-off. At that point, if you do that, you might be talking about, like, the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. Yes, not only greatest heavyweight mixed martial artist of all time, which I think it would guarantee if he beats Nganu again and Jones. But this would be just maybe the greatest ever of all. But no one's talking about that storyline. No well, one. It's still two big fights. Nganu is the scariest man in the world. Well, people have been talking about this for everyone. They're talking about McGregor, Israel Adesanya, all these guys. Like, oh, if he beats this guy, he's the greatest of all time. Meanwhile, Stipe has two fights with being the greatest of all time all across the board. 
No one talks about it, though, because you know why? Because no one's expecting him to beat Naganu or John Jones. Yeah. And what you said, he mumbles a little, so maybe it's like hard to understand them. So he doesn't have like that personality that people like we love to hate. That's what's so funny is like if this was just a guy from another country, they're just like, ah, that's okay. But because they're like, oh, I should understand him and I don't, they almost like get mad at him for it. I didn't think so much about the verbal stuff. I'm sure that plays a part. Part of me also thinks there's just like a little bit of a disrespect towards heavyweight where they just think these people are less technical and more just like brutish. Stipe, to be in contrast to that, fighters, doesn't have like a lot of speed or power, but he's in the right spot at the right time. He's smart. Like he'll be losing a fight and then figure out the right game plan that beat you. So if you had to uh, bet, because I think our next episode is going to be after the fight, like what do you think happens? Like how, how do you see the scenario playing out in that fight? I'm going to bet on Stipe. I'm going to bet with my heart. He is the underdog. If I do find that things are close, I usually bet on the underdog just for the odds. Uh, I want Stipe to win. I just think he has a better overall game plan. It's the better story, I think, too. The only thing is it's so hard to bet against Francis because he is the biggest monster ever. Yeah, he's so scary. Yeah, I guess if I have to bet, I'm betting Stipe. Okay. My heart wants to root for Stipe, and I hope Stipe wins, because I think even if Stipe wins, Francis Ngannou will eventually be champion. So, like, I think he's going to find his glory eventually. But I want Stipe to go out on top as, like, a legend, the legend. And so I would love for him to beat Francis and then John Jones. But I don't think – I think Francis, the last two years, we've only – he's had four fights, and I think all fights have ended in, like, a minute and a half. And – we haven't seen how much he's improved, but apparently like some articles are saying he's been obsessed with wrestling and grappling because of what Stipe did to him. And I just see him being much better prepared this time around. And I just don't know how many of those shots you could take if you're Stipe. Plus he's had two, no, three battles with Daniel Cormier in between these last fights, plus all the training. So I just feel like Stipe... It's just hard to remain on top. And he's already set the record as most victory as a heavyweight champion. Yeah, and he's also getting older. So if I had to bet, I think I would bet Francis. But I think it's going to be one of those fights that you can appreciate regardless. It might end super fast. But I think you're going to respect somebody after this fight is over. Like it's oh. going to be like a new top legend of the sport. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it will definitely have a big outcome regardless. Okay. So me and you, I'll take... Unless we get another fight that ends with like an eye poke or something like that, that would just be killer. Oh, that would be tragic. No, we can't have that. And then hopefully, if anything, that leads to uh, those new gloves or like new rules to make sure that the fighters have... We have to talk about that next week too because I've been reading stuff how they're saying the mats are slipperier slipperier than before and a lot of people are like falling down because... With COVID, they have to disinfect the ring. And part of me is like, these people are fighting. And yeah, I know. I get the idea that you don't want them to get sick. But you're also having them slip and like fuck up their knees and ankles and stuff. And it's like, you're a billion dollar sport. Like, you know, you have to not be so, I don't know. I think there's a lot to talk about with rules. People are proposing like all these rule changes 
for UFC in terms of like, well, how do we stop these eye pokes? How can we stop these DQs? And people proposing all these rules. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about how the rule set came to be, what it will turn into soon. And I subscribe to one of these conspiracy theories. But we'll have to talk about it next time. Yeah, yeah. So that wraps up uh, number two for us. So thanks for listening if you're listening. Uh, we appreciate that. And we'll catch you next time. Yep. And enjoy UFC 260. Yes. All the best. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.